here at City Hills, and that's, that's our gift. You can grab that as you go today. 1 Samuel chapter 24 says, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. Verse 2, So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. And this should be in your notes, verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. TMI, right there in the Bible. <laughs> but as it happened, that's, that's Greek for... See, what happened was David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. This is an amazing story. Verse 4, Now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. I want to take a break there. We're going to pick it back up in just a moment. But I want to title this message today, The Poison and the Promise. The Poison and the Promise. Could you, could you just say that with me today? I pray this gets inside of our hearts. The Poison and the Promise. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you speak more than what my words could say? Holy Spirit, would you change our lives today through your word? Make us better. We want to be better. I want to be better. I want to be different. I want to grow. Lord, I pray you would help us to put together some pieces in the area of our relationships this morning. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. When you start getting into the Bible, it's quick, you, it's quick to find out how... David is one of the main characters of the Bible. I love David. David was a guy who had some issues. David was a guy who, I uh, mean, God used in a mighty way. He was a, he was a musician, and, and, but he was also a, a warrior, so he was bad. I mean, he would kill you and then write a song about killing you. I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was amazing. He was a king. He uh, is the second most mentioned person in the Bible besides Jesus Christ. And he, he's, he was just such a big deal. And it wasn't because of his perfection. Uh, it was because of his heart. The Bible says that he was a man that was after the heart of God, after God's heart. And when we find David first in the Bible, he's not some mighty king. He's not some mighty warrior. He's, he's just a teenage boy out in his father's field tending sheep. And the prophet Samuel gets a word from God and says, I want you to go to Jesse's house and anoint the next king of Israel. He didn't tell him who the... What, what the name of Jesse's son was It just said hey it's at Jesse's house So go to Jesse's house and, and, and Jesse just happened to be David's dad And David had seven other brothers except him And whenever the prophet came and said Hey the king's going to be from this house He lines up his sons from oldest to youngest All of them except one David He, he lines up the, the, the good looking Older brothers And just kind of one after the other Saul's thinking okay man this guy He's going to be the king And and God says no, to the point where Samuel says, "Do you? I must have missed it because don't do you have any more kids?" Uh, and, and and I guess that's what happens after you have like more than a couple kids. Like you just start losing count of like where they are. I don't. I you know what? I got one more. He's out in the field, and they had forgot. He had forgot about David, or on purpose had left David out. He he was forgotten by his father, but he was remembered by God. That God's eye was on David. And David, in the presence of his brothers, was anointed to be king of Israel, which literally meant they had this, Samuel the prophet would have this huge kind of vase of oil, if you will, and he would break it and just pour the whole thing over the head of David. And David was 
was anointed to be the next king of Israel right there in front of his brothers. He had to feel like the man in that moment in front of all of his brothers that he was the least, he was the smallest. You, Daddy, you forgot me, but I'm the, who's the king now? I mean, all those things had to be going through his mind. And, and, and what do you think happens next in David's story? He's anointed to be king. Don't you think the next step is that he would be appointed to be king? But the reality is that doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, that doesn't happen for 15 more years. That David was anointed for something that he wasn't yet appointed to. And David goes back into the field where he was before he was anointed. And, and because in the, in, the, in the middle there was a process that God was trying to turn a shepherd boy into a king. So don't be surprised in your life if there are seasons where you feel like you're anointed for more than what you're currently doing. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Don't think you've missed it if God's put more in your heart than what's in your hand. Don't, don't think you've missed it that if there's seasons where things aren't going like you thought they would be and you're back out in the field with the sheep and you, you thought you were anointed for great things, but you look and you're just doing something else. And I think that's one of the things God loved about the heart of David. That, that, that David was, was able to be anointed but still be in the process of God. He didn't have to be... He didn't have to go to the palace. He was willing to just go for the process, and that was okay with David. So, so David goes back to the field, and the next time we see David in the Bible, he was being asked to go take bread and cheese to his brothers who were fighting in a war. Again, left out. He wasn't invited to the war. He wasn't invited with his brothers. He was left out, but his dad said, Hey, I want you to go be a delivery boy. <laughs> and take bread and cheese to the battle. And he, he just happened to go to the battle when there was this giant man named Goliath there. And, and, and in, in the process of his, uh, of his calling and his anointing, in the process of all this, he just happens to cross this Goliath, this, this giant Goliath, and he's like, hey guys, what's going on? Is, it, is nobody doing anything about this? Like, where's, what, what's the deal? Like, what's the issue? Like, like... Like, what's going on? And, and in that moment, he became, he went from being a delivery boy to a deliverer in the process. He went from being a boy that was just doing delivery to being a deliverer of a nation because God had him in the process of it all. That, that, that God was still doing what he said he was going to do in David's heart, even though it didn't look like it was happening in the moment. Then after David slays Goliath, the whole nation just, he's the hero. Everybody loves him, except one guy, the king. Everybody loved David. They sang songs about David. He was on hit, he was like the top hit on the radio. They, they were writing songs about him. He was so awesome, so bad. Everybody loved David except Saul, the king, the person with all the authority and all the influence. Kind of backward. Like, I, I don't understand. Saul got upset. Saul was so jealous of David. Saul was jealous of David's success. Saul didn't understand that you don't, you don't lift yourself up by putting others down. Saul, Saul, Saul was, he had no humility. He was so filled with pride, and he had been rejected by God. And God said, you're not going to be the king. And that's whenever he anointed David as king. But, the, but, but Saul failed to realize that you, can, you rise by lifting others up. Like, like some people think that the only way you lift yourself up is by putting others down. But, but, but Saul thought... That's what Saul thought, but, but, but it's just not the reality. That's why as a church, we pray for other churches every week. 
Why? Because we believe we all rise together, right? That's why we love one another and we encourage one another and we rejoice with each other when we rejoice and we weep with each other when we're weeping. Why? Because we lift each other up. That, that you don't have to be down for me to be up and I don't have to be up for you to be down. Like we can all do this together and that's what Saul, he had an issue. He did not realize that God could bless him and David at the same time. So this saga starts unfolding starting in about chapter 18. I was reading it this week. It's just fascinating. This guy has this guy David is is has never done anything wrong. He's just a shepherd boy who's trying to be obedient. He's he's writing songs, he's worshiping God, he's becoming a warrior, he's fighting, he's getting victory and Saul hates him. Saul starts trying to kill David. He starts devising these plans to say, hey guys, why don't you put David like at the, I don't know, like maybe like the front of the battle where everyone, they're like, everyone dies there. He's like, okay, David, David has it. He can do it. You know, and he's putting him on the front of lines of battle in hopes that he's going to die. And then he says, he starts devising these plans. He's like, hey, you want to be my son-in-law? And David's like, well, well I, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm just a shepherd boy. I can't imagine being the king's in the king's family. He says, oh, all you got to do is kill 100 Philistines. That's it. No big deal. And you got to do it by yourself. And in hopes, not that he would do it, but in hopes that he would die. And when he brings back the evidence of his kills, Saul changes his mind and doesn't give him what he promised. Two times, Saul tried to literally take a javelin and kill David with it. And David came back. <laughs> David came back, and Saul kept trying to kill him. And it got so bad that David actually had to go on, to, go on the run from Saul. For seven years, he ran and lived in caves and, and, and was away from his family, on the run like a fugitive, being hunted down like a dog by the king of Israel. Why was he hunted down? Nothing. What did he deserve? Why did he deserve that? He didn't deserve that. Think of the contrast. Saul was this maniacal, egotistical, full of pride, God-rejected king, and he's living in a palace. Here's David, never done anything wrong, sincere, humble, anointed warrior, king in the making, and he's living in a cave. Surrounded by losers. The Bible said that he had everybody that came to David were either in debt, they were discontented, or they were discouraged. David had a bunch of losers around him. All the, in, all the people that had issues. Saul was surrounded by military generals. David was surrounded by losers in a cave, in the darkness, in a cave. <laughs> Could you imagine what those guys around David would constantly talk about? Man, I can't wait till you're king. I can't wait till we can get rid of... Can you believe what Saul's doing? Can you imagine how David thought about Saul for those seven years in the cave? And then one day, just, just happens, one day, David's hanging out in his cave. And somebody walks in the cave. Everybody's like, shh, 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 somebody's coming. Who is it? I don't, oh, you're not going to believe this. It's the king. It's your enemy. It's Saul. Oh, my goodness, David. This is God. Put 
giving him into our hands. And he's, what's, what's he doing? Number two. This is where the phrase caught with your pants down originally comes from. David, you got him right where you want him. So here's the question. What's David going to do? And and the real question is, what are we going to do? That's the real question. What's David going to do whenever it seems like his enemy, his adversary, has been served up to him on a silver platter? What are we going to do when we have an opportunity to live offended and to be offended? That's the real question of the day. What do we do? This is an extreme example in the Bible of somebody who had every opportunity to live an offended life because of what someone else had done to them. And we get a, we, we, we get a clear picture of, of what it looks like to live an offended life. I, I, want, I want us to think today about being offended in two phases, in two stages, if you will, if you're taking notes. Here's the first stage. is simply this, the feeling of offense. The feeling of offense. Someone does something to you. Someone says something to you. Someone, so, someone acts in a way that, man, you just, you just, it just makes you mad. It just offends you. You, you, you look at something on Facebook, and you're, you're just offended. Anybody ever seen something this week on Facebook that offended you? Come on. Somebody, you seen something, some political commentary, some type of an issue that's taken place in our news cycle that, that, that everyone doesn't agree on, and, and you're just offended. You know? And, and, and we're, we live in the most offendable culture ever, that everyone's constantly offended, and everyone's so aware, I have a right, I have a right, I can say what I want to say, I have a right to be offended. And I want to say, just because you have a right to be offended doesn't mean it's always right to be offended. Just because you have a right, you have a right. Yes, you do. But it's not always right because there's a high cost of living offended. There is a high cost of living an offended life. There's a high cost to yourself whenever you live a life that's full of offense. Your, 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 your family, your friends, your coworkers, your parents, someone at church, your pastor offends you. I'm sure that would never happen ever, 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 your pastor offending. I bet no one would ever offend you in church. I mean, I'm, they're just perfect people, especially at the 845. All the perfect people here today, there's nobody that would ever offend anybody or say something negative or have a dirty look or nobody. All the perfect people come to 845. Just, just offended. Just, just offended. Your spouse Oh my goodness. Offended. Men, here's a verse for you. Offended by your wives. Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. All the men are very quiet right now. Here's another verse for you. It is better. Here's women for you. It's better to have severe hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who's a jerk. That's not in the Bible. That's 2 Brandon 3.16. Actually, second care of 316. How many couples 
have, would be honest enough here at church to say you've, you've fought in the last month. Come on, you fought in the last month. Anybody? Come on. Listen, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Come on. How many in the last week you've fought? Come on, the last week. Come on. Last week you've had an argument. I don't mean hurting somebody. Come on. We need Jesus this morning. How many in the last day? You, you say, yeah, we kind of had a little issue this last 24 hours. How many would be honest enough to say, on the way to church today? Oh, on the way to church today. Come on. Got some honest people in the house today. The enemy always be, be, be fighting on the way to church. <laughs> Stage one, you feel offended. You feel offended. You can't help it. It's a feeling. You read something. Someone says something. There's an issue in your family, in a relationship, and you feel offended. But here's the second stage that most people don't know about, and it's the choice to live or not live offended. The first is a feeling, but the second is a choice. You have a choice in the matter whether you're going to allow your feelings to dominate your future. You have a choice if you're going to allow your feelings to dominate your life. Because do you know how marriages are destroyed one offense at a time? It's Satan's greatest tactic. It's the way that he destroys our lives. It doesn't start big. It starts small. I want to illustrate this to you today in this way of what happens whenever we feel offended by someone. When, when, when something happens in our life, when someone says something to us or we read something online or our boss does something that we don't think they should do or... Or, or, or God does something that we don't agree with or understand, what happens in that moment that the enemy takes some poison and pours it for us. When the offense happens to us in our home, a little bit of poison is poured into a glass and we look at it and we can't believe I cannot believe it. And then we turn and we look at it from another perspective. I still can't believe it. It's a glass of poison. See, the enemy's tactic to divide families are not some great, big, huge thing that we would immediately go to. People don't leave churches and leave relationships and leave families and leave marriages because of necessarily some big thing most times. I'll dare say the way that we are destroyed is just a little bit of offense at a time. And then something else comes into our life and there, there, there's some issues and then there's a little bit more offense that comes. That's why the Bible says that we as the, oh, those of us that are married need to put a deadline on being offended. The scripture says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. That, that's, that's hard to do. <laughs> because why? We're offended. We're angry. As a matter of fact, it doesn't say, don't be offended. Don't be angry. Don't have an issue. Don't feel offended. But make sure every day before you go to bed that you don't live offended. Make sure you don't drink 
the poison. Make sure you deal with your feelings and realize you don't have to stay offended. Just because you feel offended doesn't mean you have to be offended. That, that you have a choice in the matter. If you're taking notes today, simply this, that to live offended is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. See, the enemy says, if you'll drink this poison, if you'll be offended, if you'll live offended, if you'll be upset, if you'll stay angry at your spouse, if you'll stay angry at your parents, if you'll stay angry at your boss, if you'll stay angry at people in your world that have offended you, if you'll just drink the poison, man, it will feel so good and it will totally kill them. But the reality is that it's a tactic of the enemy that will actually destroy you and will actually destroy me. So what did David do when he caught Saul with his pants down? <laughs> Don't just be real. You're always going to catch the closest people to you in life with their pants down from time to time. If you're married, you know. You know what their issues are. You, 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 you have the ability. If you're friends with someone close, see, nobody can offend you like somebody close to you. Why? Because you, you, you know what they're like when, with their pants down. I'm using that as an illustration here this morning that God gave us. He put the detail in there for a reason. Why? Because it's the people that are closest to us that we have to make a decision. What do we do when we have the opportunity to slight them, to harm them, to call out the negative in their life and to make ourselves feel better in the process? Reading on, it says, So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, God forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself had chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Let them live is the moral of the story we get from David. Let them live. The people that have hurt you in your past, let them live. The people that are chasing after you even right now, let them live. The people that, 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 are, that are the greatest source of difficulty in your life, don't take vengeance into your own hands. The scripture says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So when we be the ones, when we step into the, the place of vengeance, we are stepping into the place that God says, you're, doing, you're trying to do my job. God says, that's not your job. It's my job. Vengeance is my job. So let them live. Can you say it with me? Let them live. To forgive is to live. To forgive is to live. When you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free. And then in the end, you realize the prisoner was you. Forgiveness does not make you them right. Forgiveness just makes you free. Forgiveness makes you free. That's what David did. And reading on, it says this in verse 12, May the Lord judge between us. It's so powerful. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are doing to me. Watch this. But I will never harm you. 
as that old proverb says, watch this, so powerful. From evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Here's how you deal with people that here's how you not here's how you choose not to drink the poison. Here's the first thing. You know who you are. Know who you are. David didn't retaliate against the one who was offending him. Why? Because David knew who he was. David said, "Hey, evil people do evil things. And I'm not an evil person. I'm about to be a king." I'm not an evil person. I'm headed to a throne somewhere. And, and I know who I am. I feel like one of my jobs as a father is to create a sense of identity in my boys. So I say, sons, who are we? Three and five years old, they say, shanks men. If you have girls, I don't know what you do with that. <laughs> Encourage all the men in the house. Get a family bark. That, that really helps with the manliness. Who are we? Shanks men. <laughs> Identity. Before I drop off my son to kindergarten every day, I say, son, don't forget who you are. And it's so funny. He's so young to even kind of catch that concept. But I don't mean don't forget your name. I mean don't forget your identity. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget your character. Don't forget where you're going. I just want to encourage someone, don't forget who you are in Christ. If you play the victim, you will stay the victim. If you live your life always being the victim, always being, well, everybody's chasing after me. And I know if you play the victim, you'll stay the victim because you're not a victim, you're a victor. If you understand your identity, David says, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I know everything looks like the whispers of everyone says, oh, go ahead and kill him. Go ahead. You've got to watch who you surround yourself with. They Go ahead and leave. Go ahead and get divorced. Go ahead and stop. You've got to watch those kind of voices because it's poison. It's poison. And, 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 and David knew who he was. He said, hey, whoa, whoa, that's for evil people. I'm not an evil person. I remember that I was anointed. I remember that God had a plan for my life. I remember that I was called of God. Don't ever forget that you have a calling on your life. Don't ever forget that God has a great plan for you. Don't ever forget that what's before you is greater than what's behind you. Don't forget that God is not finished with you yet. Know who you are in Christ. David says, I'm royal, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm full of purpose. That, that, that's what some of our marriages are missing, a purpose. A purpose will hold you together when nothing else will. A purpose will, will, will help you rise above the offenses that comes in your life. I told someone the other day, I, I need your prayer to help me make it through this marriage series in our marriage small group. Because every time we do stuff with marriages, our marriage always gets attacked. Every time we can be setting up for marriage small group and it's just like World War IV happens inside of our house when we're setting up for marriage group. You're like, get it together. We got people coming over our house. We got to tell them that Jesus loves them and they're supposed to stay together. We're going to love one another. <laughs> you know what? It's amazing. That every single time we, we had the conversation last night, because we have a purpose, because God's using our life and we're serving together, we're, we've got a calling together, we recognize those, those attacks, they're not even about my wife and I. Those attacks are about the people whose lives are going to be changed. And the enemy's trying to stop it at the source. 
So if we didn't have a purpose, we would think we're just fighting with each other. And then we realize, no, 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 we're rising above that. We're not fighting with each other. We're not, we're not, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers that are trying to come against us. Why? Because we got a purpose. We got a calling that, that, that we got a, we got a church to build. We got people to build. We got God, like, like God's not done with us yet. I would encourage you get, get, get serving with the people that are closest to you. Don't just serve in different places. Find out ways where you can serve together and have a purpose together. Why? Because the enemy's going to come against you but that purpose will be greater than the offense we realize you know what we may have get in an argument we may get in a disagreement but we have a purpose that's bigger than that disagreement without a purpose I, I don't know what we do I guess we just fight all day I don't know what we do but the deadline it helps us I hope I'm, I'm just being real I, I don't want to be one of those pastors well you know we never fight or never have issues or just pray for all you people that do and God bless you we'll, we'll see you next Sunday <laughs> I'm having way too much fun here today Here's <laughs> verse 6 says this and he said to his men the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King this is so powerful David said I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him Here's this, the, the first thing we do is we know who we are the second thing is we choose to honor choose to honor David honored a man that was trying to kill him what an extreme example see the word honor simply means to add weight to to add weight to and dishonor means to take something lightly I believe we have a culture today that, that honor is not held at high regard when I think of the word honor I think of uh, the Ten Commandments. One of God's top ten was honor your who? That's right. You paid attention in Sunday school. That's good. <laughs> honor your father and mother. And it's the only commandment with a promise. It says, and your days will be long on the earth. So I tell my kids that all the time. You want to live a long life? You better be nice to me, son. <laughs> but the thing that God leaves out is the reason God doesn't say honor your father and mother if they're honorable he just simply says honor your father and mother in other words honor is a decision honor is a decision that we make it's not just something that we do if someone's deserving of it honor's decided not deserved David realized honor had to do with the claim that God had on Saul's life. He said, you're the anointed king of Israel. You're the one that, that, that's anointed. That, that, that you, you have a calling and you have a purpose. And I don't agree with what you're doing right now, but I, I just want to add some weight to, to who you are and what you're doing. I, I want to encourage us, City Hills, let's be a church of honor. Let's be a church of honor. We live in a culture that's void of honor. I just want to list some things that God says we are supposed to honor or add weight to, add value to. We're supposed to honor authority. That means our government, that our, 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 our president, our, our nation, whether you agree with it or not, whether it's honorable or not, we, that has nothing to do with our ability to honor. You can disagree with something or someone and still do it in a way that's honorable honor but I'm offended yes but you don't have to live offended you can be honoring that's how you choose to not live offended 
honor government, honor workplace, honor school, honor our family, honor parents, honor age. Scripture says this, Leviticus 19.32, rise in the presence of the aged. In other words, it's not just Southern to stand up when an elder walks in the room. It's Christian to, to honor. What is that? Showing value, showing weight. The Scripture says to honor the poor. That, that, that there are certain things we need to honor. This 1 Peter 3, 7 speaks to us men. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Showing honor. So, so how do we show honor? We, we show honor when we prioritize them. Because whatever's first in our life is honored. If you want to honor somebody, if you want to, we'll start with God. If we're going to honor God, God has to be first. If we're going to honor our spouse, that means our spouse in our priority list gets to be first in the list of our relationships. That, that, that produces honor. The, third, the second thing is we praise them. We want to honor, we praise we, we praise them if we want to honor them. Our words, we talked about that last week, our words either are bringing honor or it's bringing dishonor. Our words are even bringing weight to them and who they are or our words are, are lightening them and taking them lightly. And then third, we, we protect them. We, we, we value them. We, we, we care for them. Jesus wasn't able to do miracles in his hometown because they didn't honor him. Jesus, Jesus could not do miracles. Take that in context. Jesus. Like, I, if you said Brandon couldn't do many miracles in his hometown, it's like, okay, it's Brandon. Jesus, God, could not do his God stuff in their presence because he, they did not honor who he was. Could it be that the people in our life, God wants to do things through them for us, to us, but he cannot do it unless we honor them. He can't do it unless we prioritize them, unless we care for them, unless we show honor to them, even when they offend us. And here's the third thing that David did. Trust God's plan. Know who you are. Show honor. And then lastly, trust God's plan. Trust God's plan. David, how did you not drink the poison? He would say, I've trusted God's plan. I trusted that God had a plan in the cave season of my life. That God had a purpose even whenever things were dark, even when it was full of pressure. Do you know how diamonds are produced? By pressure in the darkness. That, that diamonds are produced in the dark. I want to tell you that, that, that God develops us in the darkness. If you're, we used to have this thing, this stuff called film. Years ago, it was these little strips. It, if you want to take, it's hard to even describe. If you're under 25, you don't have a clue what I'm even talking about right now. If you wanted to see a picture, you only got like 20 chances like to take a good picture. You didn't get to hold the thumb down and like take a thousand pictures. And you had to, you had to be very careful. And you would have these uh, the disposable cameras. Anybody remember the disposable camera? Yeah, you'd go, to, you'd, go to, you'd go to vacation with like a pack of a hundred of those things. And then you'd drop them off to a one-hour photo development. But here's the reality. Those photos are developed in the dark, in a dark room. 
I want to tell you, your character is developed in the dark. Your marriage is developed in the dark. Your future is developed in the dark. David, what was, what was happening in the middle? God was developing a king in the dark. God was taking a shepherd boy and turning him into a king in the middle of the darkness. As long as you don't drink the poison, David. As long as you don't drink the poison. The enemy wanted David to drink the poison, but God had something else for him to drink. And it was simply this. The promise. Could you say that with me? The promise. The enemy said, drink this poison. Be offended at the people that are hurting you. But God said, and this is some good promise right here. Here we go. Took some, 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 some unfiltered, some natural spring promise right here. And, 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 and God's, David had an opportunity in his life. And I believe this is what our lives look like constantly. We have offenses and people that hurt us along the way, and it's the poison. But at the same time, we have a decision. Are we going to drink the poison, or are we going to drink the promise? Are we going to be offended and actually destroy our own future? Are we going to be thankful? Are we going to believe that God is going to do what He said He was going to do and drink the promise in our lives? Because God was doing something in the darkness. He was taking 400 losers who were indebted and discontented and had problems, he was turning those 400 losers into what would be known later as David's mighty men of valor. These were future leaders of, 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 of the nation. These were future warriors that were being turned into David's, from these losers to David's cabinet, from these losers to David's military generals and warriors. God was doing something in the dark. And then also, I got, this blessed me so much, and musicians, you could come. David also was writing songs in the dark. I looked up this week what songs were written while David was in the cave. You know, when you read the book of Psalms, there's little headers that tell you a lot of times when the psalm was written, why it was written, and and even to what tune it's supposed to be sung to. It's pretty cool. And there are a few psalms that actually tell us, like this one, Psalm 57, watch this. For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time when he fled from Saul and went into the cave. Here's what he said. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. Promise. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Poison. Psalm 59 for the choir director regarding the time when Saul sent soldiers to watch David's house in order to kill him. Verse 16, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. Promise. For you have been my defense and my refuge in day of trouble. Poison. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Promise. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The, hear, the humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Promise. Oh, taste and see, verse 8, that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see. What was he drinking in the cave? Why, what was he tasting in this moment? He was tasting the promises of God. Blessed is the man who trusted Him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 19 poison but the Lord delivers him from them all promise I got thinking about some of the scriptures 
of David, we don't really have when it happened, but Psalms like Psalm 23. Just thought about it from the perspective of this, 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 this guy who was just this in the cave at this dark place, far from what felt like to be his future. And maybe you're here today and your your life in some area is so far from what God, you feel like God's anointed you to. You feel like your relationship, your marriage, your, you, you just feel like it's so far. You feel like you're literally in a cave. Watch what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Promise. He restores my soul. Promise. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Promise. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Poison. I will fear no evil. Promise. For you are with me. Promise. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Promise. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Poison. You anoint my head with oil. Promise. My cup runs over. Promise. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Promise. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Promise. What was David showing us? He always kept the right perspective. David always kept the promise greater than the poison. David always said I'm not going to let the bitterness, I'm not going to let it be something that destroys my life. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to stay in this place of bitterness. I'm going to live and forgive. I'm going to know who I am. I'm going to trust God every step of the way. And I'm going to realize that God has a promise for me. Can we stand all over the house today? I don't know what God's promised you. As a matter of fact, I guess I do. (laughs) We got the word, right? But there are things that God's put individually in your heart about your future, about your life, about your relationships. And I I just want to encourage somebody today to make a choice to pick up the promise. Pick up the promise. Forgive. It's not worth it. Let it go. It's not worth it, David. You got a promise that's greater than the offense in your heart. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your hope that goes beyond what I'm going through, Lord. Lord, we just love you and we thank you, God. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are good. Lord, I I pray for good people here today. Lord, that have been poured a glass of poison by the enemy. Lord, I just pray right now that you would give them strength. I pray that you'd give them vision to do what you've called them to do right now. I pray for marriages in the house. God, I pray for people that are bitter from broken relationships in their past. Still being tempted to drink the poison. God, help them to drink that promise to trust you today. In Jesus' name. If you're here today... I don't want a service to go by without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're like, I've been, I feel like that poison is just my life. It's what I'm doing. It's, I don't have that hope. I'm far from God. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus this morning. I want to invite you to come to the Lord today. And the way we do that is not some religious way. It's just simply saying, God, I need you. Because God has a good plan for your life. If you're here today and that's you and you say you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray with me. 
Pray the simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. You're the only one that can save me. You're the only one that can change me. So would you change me now? Would you make me new? I give my life to you. Lord, I don't want to be the same again. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me brand new life in you today? Give my life to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we just give God a hand clap of praise for what he's doing in this place today? No shadow. No shadow you won't As we sing this song, there's going to be people down here who would love to pray with you if you need prayer for any area of your life. But this is the most important part of the service, right where you are. Why don't you just let God speak to you? Let the Holy Spirit minister you right now. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? And let's just worship before we go here. And if you need prayer, why don't you come? We'd love to pray with you this morning. No wall you won't tear. No wall you won't tear down. I won't tell